to this. You know what? And in the ring with Dan and Benny, hey, brother, man, he's about the most cat. I just love him to death. I love you. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're the best. I'm telling you, brother, in the ring with Dan and Benny. Yeah. We love you. Thank Woo. you so much, Dan. Oh, yeah. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spastiano, joined, as always, by the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing, buddy? Dan, what a glorious day today was. Fishing all day in the Gulf of Mexico with my best friend, Paul, and now interviewing a bona fide wrestling legend. The only thing missing is a Tunisian hooker, and that would have made it perfect. Well, usually I tell you to tone down the uh, the jokes, but... This is uh, this is not going to be a toned down show today, Benny. Why don't you uh, tell everybody who we got on the line with us? Yes, sir. And and here's another slash. This man has done it all. We a professional wrestler who's not only wrestled every in every territory, but probably almost every country in the world. Also uh, been a uh, bodybuilder, a um, what else? A teacher, a uh, professional boxer, and and a trainer extraordinaire. And uh, I think he actually hey, jammed. I, I, Hey, I did porn in Times Square, too. Okay, you can add that, yeah. I would say he also yeah. jammed Slim Whitman, and <laughs> and he's and he's got, we, the odds are right now, that I think Vegas has it 8 to 5, that he will break the Dan and Benny record for F-bombs in one show. So uh, if, you, if you are you know, a fan of heart, uh, listening, discretion, advice. So I am absolutely honored to welcome uh, Rip Rogers to Dan and Benny in the wing, R- Ring. Rip, welcome. welcome. Hey, it's He's fucking that's better than this, does it? I hope somebody's keeping the official tally on this thing and hit me with each, each motherfucker I throw, each fuck. You know, fuck's the biggest word in the world. It's got the, the most goddamn meanings. 137 and a half fucking meetings for the word fuck. So, you know. How many? What the fuck? 137 and a and, half. And probably every part of speech as well, right? Like noun, <laughs> well, verb, adjective, <laughs> preposition. like Yeah, all that shit. But it's like when you go into goddamn Japan and they don't have any R's in their, in their alphabet. So you, you get an Americanized room. And it's on, on When you got to go take a piss on the wall, it says Lesloom. L-E-S-T-L-O-O-M. Lesloom. So that was always the first. <laughs> Well, the uh, the previous record held by Ken Patera looking dangerous already. We're at, what's I I've got, I count six or seven, and we're not even two minutes into the show. So we'll have to get like a little when we uh, a little digital thing, like just keep keep the uh, counter, the F, the F bomb counter. Well, Rip, we we ask everybody uh, the same questions to start because we always love how different the answers are. Uh, so I want to ask you about when the wrestling bug bit you. I know. You uh, story is you went to your first show in 1959 at I believe the age of five. So were you a steady fan after that? Was it a while later? Uh, well, my, when did you? Oh, go ahead. My, my motherfucking grandpa took me to fucking Shields High School, which is Seymour High School gym, the old gym. And there in the fucking rings, Cowboy Bob Ellis and Dick the Bruiser. I remember Joe and Guy Bernetti were on the card. The rest of the shit I don't remember, but I was so fucking young. You can't remember shit back that far anyway, you know. 
I remember I, I discovered my dick about the third grade. So uh, I was I was uh, earlier than that. But I remember Dick the Bruiser made quite an impression on me. Well, then let me ask you, uh, since, since obviously you were a fan from day one, when did you transition from fan to this is what I want to do? When did you decide to make wrestling your living? Well, I was always sneaking the wrestling magazines in the high school and years ago, like I graduated from Seymour high school in 1972 and they used to have a whole shitload of wrestling magazines. So they'd all come in in a big bundle. I go down to the pipe, the, the pipe shop then downtown Seymour and be looking at all these wrestling magazines. I'd be sneaking into fat Jerry Alexander's government class and, uh, and, and history class and stuff like that. And I'd be hiding, put them underneath my books and everything. And the cocksucker caught me one time. He took my fucking wrestling magazine i remember uh 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 the briscoes were on there uh jack and jerry briscoe and he stole my motherfucking magazine so i got that son of a bitch back uh on halloween we had fucking hedge happles and he lived in back of the high school where all the teachers lived and i would i just fucking drilled that motherfucker so that was fun fat jerry so alexander Rip, you were, this is going to be a question that no, I guarantee you nobody's ever asked you this before. And you've been on a lot of, lot of podcasts. So in Indiana Central College, you played football and, and baseball. But I'm going to ask you to describe the, the two points you scored in basketball because I don't think anybody's – I've heard you talk about it before. I, I want that's, you to, to tell us about it. Greatest fucking moment of my fucking life. See? Oh, now, I went to Seymour fucking high school. Uh, and right now we have the, the world's largest high school gym. The town's about 15,000, but the, with, with uh, basketball, it'd seat about 8,500 people. On the big rival night, you could have, uh, you could have turn away fucking crowds because there ain't much to do except go to basketball games, especially in, in uh, small town Indiana. So, Indiana. so when I was in high school, the varsity... We were 57 and three. That's one class basketball at the time. And which was fucking unheard of. So I'm a frustrated basketball player. That was my favorite sport. So I, I go to St. Ambrose, which is a Catholic school. And so I'm in the state goddamn finals as a, in for, in for Indiana. We play Christ the King, who's got Billy Lynch on there. The asshole fucking beat me there. Then he beat me at Butler University and fucking everything, the fucking cocksucker. Uh, and he, he was coach there for a while, football coach. But I was leading score in the goddamn game. Next year, I go to fucking freshman basketball, leading score, leading assist man, leading free throw shooter. All of a sudden, the next fucking year, I'm last man on the goddamn fucking team. Now, now. Uh, football, you don't practice. You just play. You know what I mean? It, it, Indiana boys are playing basketball every fucking... You go to the goddamn boys clubs, there's 60-year-old guys playing fucking half-court fucking basketball. And they always want to play the young guys. And they're ready, they're ready to fight you, you know, because you didn't, you didn't bounce. It should have been a bounce pass. You're not helping out on defense. Fuck, man, I just wanted to shoot and play, play NBA, you know. So, uh, where am I at? Okay, uh, we're at fucking Seymour. Oh, all of a sudden, I'm last bound to goddamn fucking team. Now, basketball in Indiana is big business. Absolutely. You're going to learn a lot. Like, well, all of a sudden, I said, goddamn, Dad, I, I didn't get fuck. I'm last man to goddamn fucking team. 
you know, playing with the same guys. But you learn about politics a little bit. You learn about, well, they just happen to have two school board member sons on there, superintendent's nephew, and uh, four school teachers' kids, right? I'm going, God damn, what a fucking scam. So anyway, I go off and play four years of football at the University of Indianapolis, and we made made the playoffs. Played four years of baseball, uh, made all conferences as, uh, as an outfielder my sophomore year, went back to pitching. Hey, I got the I got the record at Seymour High School for uh, uh, I went to the regional finals two years in a row and I fucking lost. <laughs> Nothing like going into uh, uh, the last game of the year and your earned run average is zero something, and then all of a sudden it balloons to one point three, one point four, whatever. Damn, you're pissed off. I should I should mm. do like today's athletes and just set it out, right? Oh. <laughs> what is what what what? Well, anyway. So I go to UND. So I played four years of football there. For, but but, but I, uh, my baseball coach was on was basketball coach. So and I ain't worth a shit. Uh, I play every afternoon, lunchtime, and everything. But I they put the coach puts me in the game, and he puts me in about ten seconds in. So. George Fleetwood, who ended up being like a state representative, some kind of senator, whatever in Indiana. He's six foot, six foot eight and a half, six nine from Columbus, Indiana. He gets the fucking tip on a jump ball, and I say, I go Fleet, and he throws that son of a bitch to me. Jumper, fucking bang, two fucking points. And I used to have my fucking Polaroids with all the fucking pictures I had and stuff like that. But I went to the Qualifier Island Club about five years ago. Every fucking tape. My, my my house flooded in fucking uh, in Indianapolis, so all the all the tapes I had, all my shit of pictures since I was born, everything was fucking gone because the fucking the, my basement flooded, the sump pump went out, whatever, blah blah blah. So the score the story keeps getting worse. So I lost my uh, basketball pictures too, and such is fucking life. So I've I've survived anyway. I'm going through an emotional crisis at age sixty nine, but. What the fuck, right? But but the, the assistant was to George Fleetwood, and uh, so I got some two points, jumper, bang, it don't get any fucking better than that. Nothing like being a frustrated. But my, bro, my brother was a lifer basketball coach, and he just uh, he just re- retired. I was a school mm-hmm. teacher one year, but I didn't exactly last too long at, at Union City, Indiana, where mm-hmm. I was coaching football. But anyway... You know, I was actually going to ask you about that, if we could expand. You, you, you finished college, you were briefly a teacher. Uh, I think it's ironic, honestly, you became a teacher and, and because you had such a significant long-term career teaching wrestling. Uh, we'll get to that, obviously, later. Uh, but talk about your first teaching job. You did mention, uh, if I if I remember correctly, it was $150 a week. And obviously, you said no, it, well, it didn't no, last. Exactly what made that leave? I'll tell you exactly what it was. You got paid every two weeks. A good check would average out to $129 a week. The, and in the bad check, where they'd take out teacher's dues, it was $119 a week. So, but I lived about a, a block and a half from school on top of uh, some retired teachers up the upstairs. So the rent, the rent was so cheap. You know, this was, it, 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 it was awesome. It, it was great. I just hated kids. So what the hell, right? <laughs> 
can't, I can't imagine Definitely. someone who hates children is long for teaching. Yeah, well, I didn't. Well, now, now, this is how. How do you get a teaching job? You don't have an interview, right? The uh, one of the one of the, the school board members there was his daughter was a a cheerleader at UND. So I'm sitting there. He goes, "Hey, Mark, what are you doing next year?" I said, "Fuck, Fano." You know, I said, "I got to be a teacher somewhere," but you know, he goes, "Well, hell, he was the bot like on the school board at Union City." He says, "Well, hell, we need a we need a." a, a football coach and whatever this and that and uh uh hell you can you don't even have to interview for it so i didn't interview for it and i got the fucking job right so so let's not say it's all who you know and everything because it is <laughs> what a fucking rib huh <laughs> so it was let's just say let's just say uh a lot of the senior boys uh, they was like my best friends because i like four years older than them you know i was running around with them years afterwards such as life memories don't get any better than this <laughs> rip uh amongst your uh, your various exploits you were a uh, competitive bodybuilder and um i mean you're tr one of your trademarks in, in wrestling was your ex excellent physique what what made you to, uh, go into bodybuilding and talk a little bit about, about the uh, the discipline as far as, far as your uh, the training and the uh, the dieting? Okay, first of all, I was a fat kid, so I'm athletic as fuck. I got two paper routes, and I uh, I'm 13 years old. I'm going to a seventh grade dance. I got a I'm looking in the fucking mirror. I got a 32 inch chest and a 36 inch waist. Because I was brought up on red meat and and uh, they didn't know much about nutrition at that time. And my mom was having meat three times a day, usually red meat, you know. And I was just uh, uh, didn't know have any discipline about that. So then, uh, so I they got a new Universal gym at the high school. Then I bought me a, a, a Sears uh, 150 pound set, made a bench. And so I never missed a day of working out. I was getting the Joe Weider magazines when it was, uh, it was called muscle fitness and the Mr. America magazine. And they had the Bob Hoffman magazines, uh, et cetera. Uh, they had the Dan Lurie magazines. They were like, uh, uh, another brand. But, uh, so I was doing all the magazines and training all through high school. So by the time I graduated, I weighed like 200 pounds. Uh, was five ten and a half, strongest kid in the school, and uh, whatever. Then I went off went off to college and just kept doing that. I, I was always training. I trained three hours a day, even though I'm all sixty nine years old and everything always fucked up. Uh, so I do reps out the ass, do every body part every day, and uh, and I ain't I ain't croaked yet. Uh, where the fuck was we going with this anyway? Oh oh, it's about training, right? So. Uh, me and Randy Savage was lived lived together like four years. So he's the one. Now we was sitting there, we was in Lexington and ICW. And we was in outlaw territory, but we had more talent than the goddamn regular territories. We had Bob Roop, Ronnie Garvin, Boris Malenko, uh, Bob Wharton Jr., uh, Randy Savage, his brother, his dad, Pistol Pez Watley, Crusher Broomfield, who was a one-man gang, who was George Gray, who was Akeem. We had some some guys that could go. 
And most of the time, we, we ran two towns a night. And on some Saturdays, we ran three towns a night. We had 14 television markets. We was fighting Barnett. We was fighting Jerry Jerry. We was fighting Ron Fuller, uh, the Sheik, Dick the Bruiser, Bob Geigel, Vern Gagne, you name it, in running towns. But and all we wanted to do, we was just young and, and uh, learn how to book, learn how to do it, uh, editing, uh, uh, all, all kinds of shit. Let's see, uh, all, the, the televisions, how to bicycle the tape, et cetera, how to, how to book, how to do fucking finishes. A lot of times Randy would run a town, I'd run a town, his dad would run a town. Like on a Saturday night. So then, hell, his his dad Angelo, the, the miser, hell, he bought uh, he bought two diesel ring ring tr- or see we had the ring truck and we had two diesel vans, one for the baby faces and one for the heels, so the guys didn't burn the cars up and stuff. So you talk about a learning experience. Damn, that was that was uh, that was a lear- learning experience. But. Uh, Jerry Jarrett's TV come in. To, we stayed in Lexington, and their TV come on. And there was me and Randy watching it, and there was all Kevin Sullivan on there, and he's fucking shredded. And he showed him having a, uh, some footage of him in a bodybuilding contest. So Randy says, okay, that's what we're going to fucking do next. So uh, we did that. So I got in 12 contests in 18 months, which is impossible. One, two, uh, with taking no steroids. Which did doesn't get me heat because I'd make fun of guys taking fucking steroids. So fuck everybody, and I said I, uh, nobody can nobody can force me not to work out. I can work out uh, with no equipment in complete silence uh, in a small room in Japan if need be. I said uh, it's up to me what I put in my mouth, uh, and I don't have to put shitty food in there. So I was just obsessed for years and years and years. And I love fucking training, and and as as long as I got them endorphins going, I'm fine. I don't don't smoke, drink, never done cocaine in my goddamn life. Took about three puffs of cigarettes and and three puffs of marijuana. Of course, Randy was had a little bit to do with that. But <laughs> <laughs> you, you you can imagine our house when you walk in. There's a weightlifting bench. There's a, a bunch of dumbbells, a Olympic bar, and a a living room where all the walls are punched, punched in. <laughs> and, uh, I, you, could, you, you could imagine who did that. <laughs> I don't know. I, I find that hard to believe. I've seen enough Randy Savage promos to know. I don't think drugs was ever involved. <laughs> oh, but he, no. he was, he was my goddamn at that time. He was like my best friend. He was my fucking hero. I just adored that fucking motherfucker. And he was like a year and a half older than him, but he had been in the wrestling business, you know, with his father, you know, when he was the spider and uh, Randy Popo and this and that, because he played pro baseball five years and he actually led the, the, uh, the, the rookie leagues. He was tied with Eddie Murray, who made a, who was in, who's in the hall of fame with the 3000 hits. They were both tied in the rookie league with home runs with, with, with nine. And his nickname there was Macho Man. Because any time there was a fight, he'd be leading the troops. And he was such a he was such a nut when he got cut. Uh, he they put him with he, he actually changed throwing his throwing arm because they said they wanted to have a left they, what they did want to do, they was gonna cut him because 
they were scared of him. They scared he burned the clubhouse down. So they told him he wanted a left-hand yeah. first basis. There's no heat on that. So Randy taught himself to throw over the winter, and and he'd throw 1,500 balls against the wall every day. And we, he could still play pitch and catch and throw left-handed. He could make that throw to second base. Now, it didn't have a lot of steam on it, but and you could it looked funny, but he could still goddamn do it. It just shows you what a fucking nut he was as far as being determined to do something. So I took that nuttiness. And so I started doing that with, hell, I did, you know what free squats are and lunges, et cetera? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Knee pull. Well, you know, like on free squats, guys, I did 5,000 in a row just to do it. Took wow. two and a half hours. Then I laid on the bench and did 5,000 knee pull-ins in a row. Another two and a half fucking hours. And he just sit there cussing me the whole time. So the more I, the, the more work I do, I'd say, fuck you, motherfucker. You ain't going to outwork me. You can intimidate, beat my ass or whatever, but you will not fucking beat me. So uh, <laughs> that was fun. He would, he'd want to have a goddamn fucking 40-yard dash record or a, he want to have a push-up contest. Who could do the most curls? Who could do the most pull-ups? Uh, who could jack off the most times or whatever the fuck we was doing? It was just uh, <laughs> imagine that, huh? But let's just say he was a bit competitive, so uh, he 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 was quite the inspiration. Well, Rip, um, you know you've spoken a lot about the Popos and the the profound influence, especially Angelo had on your career, and especially when it came to managing money and. How many times have we heard about wrestlers who, you know, they, they entered the ring far past their prime just because they needed another payday? Well, you know, perfect example was Ric Flair last summer. So I guess, uh, number one, if you want to comment on that, that would be great. And number two, how valuable was was were the, the budgeting lessons that you did learn from uh, from Angelo? Well, the thing about this is, is it's just like compare baseball at that time with wrestling or anything. That's like when I grew up in the seventies until the Andy Messersmith decision, it'd be like this is baseball. Baseball players were paid during the season. Then they had to get a job. Yep. So did NFL players and so did NBA players. They didn't make that much goddamn money. Yep. They were living they were living in normal neighborhoods and they were fucking brown bagging it. What the fuck? You know, everybody then, and it's, uh, it's the curse of being marks of playing for the love of the fucking game. We played for the love of the motherfucking game. Not one time did I ever get booked somewhere. It was never about the money. It was the love of pro wrestling, knowing you're going to get older. You want to experience every territory you can. You want to meet all these guys and then see them 10 years later in a different territory. I remember I was with Scotty McGee in, uh, well, he was Garfield Ports in Calgary. <laughs> and he was uh, uh, Scotty McGee in, uh, in Tampa. So you don't know where you're, you're going to meet him at. And then you'll go back talking about 
the towns we ran, the ribs we pulled, the broads that were there, uh, the finish that was there, and the different styles and everything. Because this this wrestling world used to be so good because it had all these territories, and each one it was ran a little bit different. And you'd steal an angle from this territory, and there wasn't any cable TV. And you and uh, Buddy Rogers was doing the same thing years and years ago. He'd bring his crew in. They'd hot shot the son of a bitch. For two years, they'd do sell-out business. And then the promoters, now he's rich. Then they would leave, and then the territory would die because they didn't, they didn't know what to follow with. <laughs> and, and I would have thought Buddy Rogers, was, he, was the, he, he was the greatest wrestler I've ever seen as far as getting fucking heat, psychology. Did you ever see, you ever see that match with him and Pat O'Connor, 38,000 Comiskey Park, 1961 NWA champion, two out of three fall match? Yeah, every every yep. cover was a pin unless Rogers got his foot on the rope. Everything meant something. Now they do 32 fucking false finishes, but the skinny fat fucking nerds. Nothing means nothing. Nobody knows how to goddamn fucking sell. To me, it's a god. That's why. That's why I hadn't sat down and watched wrestling since 2000, 2002. I'll watch something somebody sends me. I'll see something on my phone or whatever. But I fucking start fucking crying because we've destroyed our motherfucking business. The worst thing's letting fucking mark promoters in. They destroyed it because they don't fucking know. Fuck. Oh, I don't even want to get started on that shit. I can't get on the guys because there's another yep. place to go, and they can make all this money for phony wrestling. But yep. they're not any good. Guys today, it's impossible for them to be any good. I just think we're working seven days a week. We're working and we're learning, being young baby faces, working under 40-year-old heels. They're teaching us. After a couple of years, we need to learn to be a heel. Now everybody, everybody in the territories knew how to call it in the fucking ring. My first fucking night in for fucking Watts. Hey, Art Cruz, Rip Rogers. Hey, I heard you come in from uh, 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 Portland. Hey, I used to be Buddy Rose's partner. I'll do a bunch of Buddy Rose shit. Okay. All he's got to do is shut the fuck up and listen. Heels led everything. Baby faces, shut the fuck up. And everybody everybody could call, every heel could call that son of a bitch the goddamn fucking ring. It was, you could come in anywhere. Fuck, I'm, work, I'm working a goddamn hour Broadway with Sabio Vega in Puerto Rico, 1989. I say, T, we're going, going 60 tonight. I'll see you in the ring. He said, what? And that was it. I said, oh, about 57 starts to come back. Hit me with a, uh, uh, put Savat, Savat kick, go into a fucking Cobra. I'll pop the fucking Al Alka-Seltzer fucking pill. I'm fumbling at the mouth. We run out of God's time. We'll run out of fucking time. See you in the goddamn ring. And that's how you knew how to fucking work. <laughs> Never have I gotten a goddamn ring and went through a fucking uh, match. Are you fucking... What the fuck is this shit? You you tell me in your uh, territory days, you never got power no. off the second rope through a flaming table and kicked out at two anyway? No. Uh-uh. Oh, uh, hell. Uh, I was working somewhere with... Robert Fuller, give me a pile driver about three minutes into the match. What did I do? I laid there. That's finished. He goes, you didn't kick out. I said, it wasn't a fucking. I said, you don't, you don't fucking uh, pile drive. Something. I, I meant pile drive. I said, you don't pile drive. What the fuck's the matter with you? And he was the owner. 
Well, I panic. I said, how can you goddamn panic? You're goddamn fucking Robert Fuller. What the fuck? What is he had that big old fucking dick and that blood was <laughs> going down to the thing. I think he had some had the, had the hot women that night or whatever, but God oh, damn. God. No, respect yeah, this motherfucking business. You get you hadn't even gotten in the ring yet. He was already picking which rat he was going home with. Forget oh, having fuck. a good match with you. No, this could be putting uh, this could be putting Robert Fuller over. But goddamn, we'd work and work Dolphin TV, and we worked Dolphin that night. Robert had the goddamn motel room. There'd be fucking girls lined up outside his fucking room. You hear me going next? <laughs> he was the fucking legend. <laughs> this motherfucker kid. had the greatest fucking time in life. Fucking Ron was was serious, and he was nothing like fucking Robert. Ron and Robert would be Booker, and then with Ron you'd make twice as much money, but with Robert you'd have twice as much fun. So you had yeah. to fucking uh, which one do I want? You know. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, you talked. <laughs> you talked about traveling. I mean, we mentioned in your intro you've been all <laughs> all over North America, all over the world. Uh, I mean, every territory, pretty much you talked about styles. You, you've been everywhere. So kind of a two part question. One, which territory do you most enjoy working for? And, uh, and from a, uh, a pure wrestling standpoint, which promoter did you most enjoy working for? I, I think I had the best time in Calgary working for fucking Stu Hart. Cause I was right downtown. BJ Jim, who was married to his oldest daughter, was like three blocks away. And uh, it was a, the, the motel was a shithole, but it was right downtown. It was so much fun. You go on them fuck, fucking trips with the fucking vans. He had the heel van, fucking baby face van. Uh, God, it was just so much fun because they had a fucking strip bar in every goddamn fucking corner. So it was fucking, it was just, Every fucking minute was was just fucking fun there. And I remember, fuck, I, I remember there's about 10 guys. I said, fuck, there's like 10 guys. This was 1988 pretty much when I was there. It was like 10 guys were dead from there. I'm going, God damn, you know. Fuck, Gary Albright, fucking Bad News, uh, Dynamite, Davey. Uh, Owen. Yep. Yeah, Owen. Chris Benoit. Uh, God, I see their faces and I can't remember the fucking names now. How about uh, yeah, what's, uh, the uh, Archie Gouldy too, right? The Stomper. Yeah, but well, he wasn't there then. That's I'm just going oh, by the guys. Were, yeah, last time I was working with fucking Stomper in the goddamn ring, some spot show about '91. I think he was working for the sheriff's department in Knoxville or something like that. That's right. He yeah, was the goddamn fucking machine. Stu Hart, Stu Hart loved Archie Goldie. Yeah, Stu did. Hey, uh, uh, hey, uh, you bastard, uh, Kenny. Yeah, Ripper. Yeah. I, I never heard anybody ever say one bad word about fucking Stu Hart. That's how fucking respected he was. And there isn't anybody that I didn't know that didn't imitate him. And no matter where I was at, somebody would always be calling me up, imitating school art. Hey, 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 come on back here. 
yeah, you little cocksucker, you know. <laughs> but they I, had all them kids. They was all different. I used to, uh, it used to crack me up watching some of the mid '90s WWF when uh, Stu was involved in a lot of Bret Hart's matches, or he'd be at ringside yeah. or whatever, and and Jerry Lawler and and everybody would just. It was so many in jokes and and references that you know you read the magazines, watch the tapes. It was funny, but going back, knowing what I know now and rewatching it, you realize just how how much they were ribbing on the Hart family. It was quite quite yeah. good stuff. Uh huh. Rip, you're it. you're very unusual in that you know you did win a boatload of championships wherever you wrestled, but I, I've heard you say that. The wins and losses meant nothing, and even really no. the money meant nothing. The most important thing was you enjoying yourself, and I think that's great to, to be true to yourself. Was there anybody else like you at that time, or were you just one of a kind that way? I have no idea what was going through anybody else's perverted mind. Hell, my, 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 my great uncle was a priest for 50 years. And my mom said to me, Mark, no, you're not going to Latin school. You're not going to be a priest. So I guess mom was right on that. But I remember like uh, 88, I didn't wrestle in the States. 89, I didn't wrestle in the States. And then like uh, I went to England, Austria, and Germany. And I was over living with Regal, you know, uh, working for Otto. And then I got uh, Regal got his, uh, I got Regal into the States. Uh, telling Bill Watts about him, and uh, wrote, and then Max Payne too. So we had, we went like America got to see Fit Finley because I got Lord Regal a job. Then Lord Regal got Fit in, and then uh, Fit got Dave Ta- and, and Dave Taylor right. Mm-hmm. Or you, we wouldn't have had that that connection. And then Alex Wright, I was working, or I was overworking. Uh, Alex Wright was a, at least about 17 years old. I worked with him when he first came to WCW, and he was over in uh, in Germany. And the first time I, when I went to Germany, I went there because his dad got hurt. Steve Wright, he fell off a roof or something. And and they brought me in. And then uh, they asked me if I could do the uh, uh, uh effeminate gimmick i don't want to say anything bad in today's world you know how that is jesus christ you can't call a fat ass a fat ass a lard ass a lard ass you can't call anybody anything i hate this motherfucking world we'll self-destruct and then fuck we're almost there now so what the fuck what was i going on i forget everything i'm 69 and uh, alex wright's father falling off the roof yeah yeah he fell off but anyway uh what a time we had in fucking God damn. I remember, uh, like we worked in, uh, Hanover 70 days in a row. Brayman was 42 days in a row. Uh, let's see. Dortmund was, was, uh, let me see. Vienna, Vienna was six weeks. So you'd go over and you'd work in the same building. And then they, and they, they, they bring Jimmy Snook in and raise the price a few bucks. And they bring the road warriors in, they'd raise it maybe 10 bucks uh and all you had all these stars coming over so they had healthy houses and in the i remember the last day in uh the last day in bremen hell they 
then they went into a big building. They, drew, they, they had the road wars in. We did 10,000 fucking people there. Hell, but me and Regals live in the goddamn caravan. Terry and uh, Terry Funk's in there. He's telling fucking stories. We're just fucking laughing. We're the biggest fucking marks. Terry Funk's like a goddamn fucking hero, right? Jesus Christ, what a good fucking time that was. Fuck. Fucking wrestling was just so much motherfucking fun. Training all fucking day. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I wish everybody, if they had a passion like this, my fucking bucket list is already fucking taken up. You know what I mean? Right. I'll do four hours of podcast tomorrow. And, uh, but everything I wanted to do in life, I've already done. So you just sitting there and sort around with the shit eating grin on your face. knowing this guy ain't never done fuck all in his life. Hell, I've had the goddamn, the twins, the mother daughter team, you name it. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Oh, it's like my dad said on his deathbed. He says, Mark, you lived. <laughs> I said, sure did dad. Fuck. It don't get fucking better than this. Oh, what were you, you was talking about Flair? What were you talking about Flair? You asked me about something. Well, the fact that at 73, he went back in the ring because he needed a payday. Well, the thing about it is, is unfortunately, we all get old. And I didn't watch one second of that match because I have too much respect for him. And it'd be, it would be like you're, one, you're, you're hoping he was 32 wrestling just to see a little bit of it. And you don't want to see Michael Jordan now. You want to remember him the way he was. Right. Because it shows our own mortality and what's going to happen to us because no matter what, Father Time don't wait on anybody. That's just like Lanny Poffo dying, right? And I just talked to him on the phone. And this was a guy that I never seen drink, smoke, do anything bad. Hell, he was drinking distilled water when I met him in the 70s. And then all of a sudden, he comes to New York for something and he died in sleep. Yeah. So... We're all going to go. We don't know when it is. So we got to try and squeeze as much laughing and as many good memories as you can. No, I can I can agree with that. Actually, speaking of, you know, aging, ageless wonders, you grew up in in Seymour, Indiana. Uh, Indiana is the home state of our sponsor, Jimmy Valiant. And I'm wondering if you want, if you have any stories, oh, but did, did, uh, did Jimmy influence your career in any way? Oh, God. He just fucking, I was just with him. Was that last week? Yeah. Was it last week or two weeks ago at Bobby Fulton's? He did a promo for my oh, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I said, Boogie, cut a promo. I said, give us this. Bah, 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 bah. He goes, oh, man, that's too much. Slow down. <laughs> He's 80, right? <laughs> yes. Yep. Oh, fucking. He Jimmy took me to his house in Niles, Illinois, when uh, he had the garage made into the gym, had the gym in there, and he had all. Uh, this is when he was with Claire, and he had the two do two little daughters in, and the whole 
inside the garage was like shellac, nothing but pictures of him, cut out cutouts of magazines. Oh, I remember on WCW one night, Heenan was Heenan was doing color, and I was imitating Boogie Woogie doing the doing the handsome, and Heenan was just losing it. <laughs> he used, I used to work at Hoffmeister Gym when I started wrestling, and Jimmy would come in. And either his girlfriend Felicia would drop him off, or uh, uh, well, that was Big Mama before she was Big Mama, right? Or uh, this uh, this other wrestler would uh, Major Duke George would drop him off, and he'd come into Hoffmeister's, and I'd be I'd be uh, working out there at Hoffmeister's, then we'd go to a town and stuff, and he'd come in, he'd had the fucking cowboy boots, no socks, he'd had the fucking uh, flared like blue jeans. Uh, uh, with no underwear on underneath the the, the sweater, <laughs> the, the sweater with no shirt underneath, he'd be be uh, combing that hair back with the with the headband thing on, and he'd give it one set of each body part about as half ass as you could get. He goes, "That's looking good enough." <laughs> did we take off? Did we take off the town? Then the, then the cocksucker he got me for some fucking fishing chips. He said, Marcus, uh, uh, I'll pay you later. Get this, that motherfucker. <laughs> We're in this fucking Puerto Rican brawl in Puerto Rico in 1989. Hey, Marcus, you and me, stay together. Boom, the corner. These guys are violent. I said, okay, Jimmy. I started lighting that motherfucker. What's the matter? What's the matter? I said, I said that fucking eight bucks you got me in 19 fucking 70, whatever the fuck it was. <coughs> 76, I think it was, for the fucking... Uh, uh, <laughs> the fish fry and fish and chips or whatever. I'll pay you. I'll pay you. <laughs> I was just lighting him up. <laughs> what a fucking rip. I used to be a, I used to be a card holding member of the, the handsome Jimmy Valiant fan club. It didn't get any fucking better than that. Did it? Wow. <laughs> did not. It, it, it's funny. You mentioned the promo are the intro to this show is uh, a Jimmy Valiant promo. What was he? What was I didn't hear? What is it? What What did you say? He it, it's him and uh, uh, George Pontas, a, a friend of ours, uh, who's also been involved in the business, cutting a backstage promo about how great Dan and Benny are, and that was backstage at Flair's uh, the weekend of Flair's last match. Okay. Right, right after he uh, was was licking on Tony Shivanto. Oh God, <laughs> and song. <laughs> Oh, fuck. So, Rip, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, training. So, you didn't really have the advantage of being trained, like, formally. All your training, from what I've heard, took place on your road trips, you know, in the cars. Here. Just and you said, I had my first fucking match. It wasn't smart for the business. Right. Uh, but, and you said pretty much everything you knew, you, you learned on the road, right? Yeah. I got in the goddamn ring, and the fucking promoter says, I just, I had my Carlin Hildegard trunks, my $52 uh, boxing boots on, the shimmer cake, silver bolero, all the top stars ready for action. Guy comes in, shakes my fucking hand. I said, what the fuck's that? He fucking sh he sh shook his hand like, I, like he was a fucking, uh, uh, what do you call a shirt lifter, a fucking dinner master, you know? And then uh, the promoter says, hey, you look pretty good. He says, you've been down there wrestling with Bruiser, right? I said, oh, hell yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, I was going to the matches. Uh, so he says, uh, 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 
uh, you babyface or heel? I said, yeah. So I said, well, <laughs> fuck that. You know, then he said, hey, uh, you work with you work with this guy and uh, you look pretty big. So you go over and then when you get the pencil, go home. So I'm sitting there. OK. When I get the fucking pencil, go home. What the fuck is he talking about? You know what I mean? And I'm watching B.B. Coleman over the fucking corner. He's cutting the goddamn fucking blade up and putting it on his goddamn finger, right? I said, hope I don't fucking wrestle him. He's going to cut me to fucking death, right? Oh, Holy geez. shit. Three, three weeks later, I'm uh, I'm working with B.B. Coleman. I'm going with him to fucking, he's taking me to fucking work for Vince fucking Sr. in Allentown and at, at the old Philadelphia fucking arena. It's all who you fucking know and market, market yourself. And from then on, it was off and running, baby. So what what made you decide to become a trainer, though? A what? What made you decide to become a, a, a trainer? Well, I was I was business partners with Danny with Danny Davis in fucking uh, Ohio Valley Wrestling, and Danny was training. Now I think he had like a kayfabe heart attack or something from the stress. So I just took over. I just changed things a little bit. All of a sudden, uh, class wasn't in the afternoon. Class was at 8 a.m. If you were fucking late, I locked the fucking door. So I gave them a little bit of tough love. Let's put it that way. They didn't realize that I was teaching them how to fucking wrestle, work, have respect, have fucking discipline. Because if they didn't, if they couldn't cut it, if they brought, if they got brought up, all the guys that are going to take their fucking place would have fucking cracked them. I was like the goddamn, uh, I'm Sergeant Carter preparing Gomer Powell for fucking Vietnam. Put it that way. <laughs> so I made, I made these fuckers tough. They didn't what they didn't want to do. I made them fucking do. And those that understood that understood it. Those that didn't, they didn't last anyway. Well, I mean, you talk training. You mentioned OVW. You you trained in your time in OVW an entire. I mean, they could pretty much have the the. I was trained by Rip Rogers' wing of the Hall of Fame. I mean, John Cena, well, Randy Orton, Lesnar, Batista. I, I mean, I could keep going. Uh, but well, this. Oh, go well, ahead. Here, here's the thing: these guys were already going to be superstars. They were superstar uh, pedigree when they come in, right? But I got about 70 other people's jobs that came in through the beginner's class. JPG, Tino, like Serena Deeb. You see what I mean? Like Mike Mondo, the Spirit Squad with Johnny Jeter. All these guys that come in and I got them fucking jobs, but they started in the beginner's class. These weren't the guys that was chosen by WWE to be stars. These guys that come in and bought fucking and paid to fucking train. Now, that was actually going to be the uh, the second part of the question was, okay. yes, you have that that Hall of Fame wing, but you you've I've heard interviews you've done through the years and you really obviously you just touched on it. You seem so much prouder of how many wrestlers you trained that got jobs. You said 60 to 70. I mean. Yeah. At what point, like, I, how kind of walk us through that, that of of here's somebody 
as as old Jim Cornette would say, greener than a pepper tree, and you got to mold them into people like you mentioned, like Serena Deeb, and these are people who now have reputations as some of the best of their generation, the the veterans of their sport. Walk us through that. Well, all I do is I say, get in fucking line and shut up. Because guys was coming in all the time and guys was quitting, right? So it wasn't like it was a 12-month course or a three-month course. Guys would be, Some guys would train with me for fucking, uh, hell, I don't know. Remember Nick Densmore, Eugene? Yeah. Eugene, yeah. He, for I don't know how many years. And he was my go-to guy for, uh, Nick, show him what I want. You know what I mean? He was so good of a, a, a wrestler. And WWE didn't give a shit about wrestling. I said, Nick, I got an idea. I told it to him. And then when he got the chance to do it, he told Vince McMahon. And then all of a sudden, he had a job. All of a sudden, he's doing skits with Vince. He's doing skits with the fucking rock. He's doing with everybody. And when you go, and like I tell everybody, when you go, everybody loves you until you start doing better than them. Now everybody's going to sabotage your ass. They're going to give you drugs. They're going to set you up with women, blah, blah, blah. They're going to talk behind your back. They're going to say you got heat. They're going to talk bad because you're taking somebody's place. And that's what happens with every rookie. And it was my job to smarten them up and toughen them up, so that because all the old guys that have been there, they're gonna they're gonna badmouth them. There's only so many jobs. You're playing for the New York goddamn Knicks. They hold how many places? You know, you playing for no matter what sport you're in. Other people they've seen your act. They're sick of it. They got it. It used to be like the territories. Unless you were figured in, unless you were part owner. You're trying to get as a heel. You could get a longer run because usually the ba- usually the the owners were baby faces. You're trying to get maybe eleven month run or something like that. You, they didn't want you to homestead there because they had weekly towns. They get sick of your act. I had to learn how to wrestle, learn how to goddamn work. Well, I could wrestle in uh, every two. Like if I was wrestling in Louisville every Tuesday night, Memphis every Monday night, Evansville every Wednesday night, I could have a different goddamn match with everybody. I don't go around repeating fucking matches. I learned how to fucking work. There ain't no goddamn script. You're fucking... When you're doing fucking promos, you might do 10 promos. Okay, you got a a, a cage match with Leaf and Lanny Tuesday night, Louisville Gardens. Go. Boom. Okay, you're in Evansville. You're working superstar Bill Dundee. Falls count anywhere in the building. Wednesday night. Okay, go. Boom. Who, what, where, when, and why? Never... Oh, never knock your goddamn opponents. You know... Know how to do a fucking promo. You got the unwritten rules, which everybody breaks now. Can you imagine? Can you imagine some goddamn writer tell me what to fucking do in the goddamn ring? You ain't got a fucking clue, motherfucker. What the fuck? Most of the guys in the wrestling business, they have their whole career and they still don't understand the shit. It is such a fucking far out fucking business. All you got to do is watch old shit. And your shit will stick out because everybody, you'll do less. Fucking handsome Jimmy got it. What do you do? Nothing. We was in a six-man. 
we did a six-man tag in Cleveland. Me and Jimmy Valiant, with we did not ever legally get in the ring. We just chahed on the outside, getting over. Every time I'd make a fucking save, he'd fucking nail me. Nail me, knocked to the fucking floor. He never got a tag, and I never got a tag. Nobody even fucking knew it. You know, I have a fucking, I had a fucking 20-minute match. I said, I want you guys to watch this. You think about that match? Oh, no. I said, what was wrong with it? Nothing. Is there anything unique about that match? Watch it back. I said, I never left my goddamn feet. I never thought, I never saw that. Well, how would you? Right. You're, you're caught up in the emotion. You was caught up in the goddamn tar- character. I was in my fucking hometown. I'm wrestling Akio Sato. Sato and then Tojo Yamamoto is his goddamn manager. I'm fucking working babyface because I work uh, at home and I'd come home for Christmas break or whatever. Five minutes gone, 10 minutes gone, 15 minutes gone, 20 minutes gone. We haven't touched yet. It's the, They come out with the, the Japanese flag. I come out with the American flag. Yay, boo, USA. Fucking Sato's laughing at Tojo's fucking laughing. He said, God damn, he said, you want to do a spot? I said, fucking why? Fucking stop me. Shit can me. Shit can me. Take the fucking ref. Have Tojo beat the shit out of me with that fucking kendo stick. But it was just so much fucking fun. We're laughing so fucking hard. Sato goes, I never see 20 go by and never catch. <laughs> I said, new local record, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, but Sato was so cool. He he was booking me in Japan. Hey, I had I had Baba's uh, last singles match he ever had in his life. Me against fucking Baba. That was cool. Yeah. All ranged through fucking Sato. That was cool. I get I get I get going on and fucking talking, going off one thing, and I'll switch over there, this and that. But you was talking about Flair earlier, right? But yes. But, but Flair fucking made a hell of a lot of money. Hey, I'll tell you what. When I was in them fucking territories, and Flair come to fucking town, he would go into any fucking bar. He'd say, hey, the drinks are on me, and it's the only Flair can do. And he paid for everybody's motherfucking drinks in them when when he would say that. You know what I mean? Everybody was there. He bought their fucking drinks. He really fucking did. And I remember a lot of times we'd be work, wrestling, and he'd be borrowing money from Boris because he'd, uh, he, he had to go out, and he'd promise all these other people he was going to buy their drinks, and he wasn't going to get paid till the next week, so... Uh, Pores would be even fucking be grumbling. Oh, goddamn Rick, I ain't got that kind of money. <laughs> but he would actually buy everybody's fucking drinks, which is that wasn't no fucking gimmick. So what the fuck, you know? The guy did it his way. That's all the goddamn fucking matters. Yeah. Rick, who was your favorite opponent? I I've heard you uh, speak very highly of both um, Buddy Rose. Uh, who I think is very underrated historically, and uh, Adrian Street. Would either one of them be your, your favorite opponent? Well, see, me and Buddy were tag team partners. Buddy Rose was so over in Portland in the territories, they revolved the talent around him, a heel. And he was so hot as a heel, he turned, they turned Roddy Piper babyface, babyface so he could work against Buddy for years. And at the time, uh, 
again, remember Portland would work four times a week every Saturday night in Portland. They didn't have usually a Portland special once a month on a Tuesday. So they're working that five hours or five times a month. Then they went in the big building and it and Buddy Rose had a hair match and they, and they, uh, had over 7,000 tickets sold. And it, and it wasn't like how WWE would do it where they would, uh, oh, we're having WrestleMania here, so we're going to leave the town dark for three years. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, they announce it next week. He's got a hair match, you know. And all of a sudden, and they're getting a big building, and over 7,000 people show up. That's fucking Buddy Rose was fucking goddamn magic. And this is not when he was heavy. He weighed about 235. He could fucking kip up, do one-arm fucking push-ups. He was a heat motherfucking magnet. And when I had Randy Savage mentoring me and then Buddy Rose, the same thing, all of a sudden I was a combination of both of them. And I could switch back and forth, which was great. Well, oh, you're talking about now, Adrian, Adrian, I had a, I worked six, I, I come in and work for Ron Fuller. I'd work for him where I'd come in as a junior heavyweight. And then uh, Ron Fuller, after he come in and took over the book from Robert, and he said, I'm keeping you off TV for six weeks. I said, God damn, what am I doing wrong? He says, I want to see something. I said, okay. So he says, okay. Uh, I've seen what I need to see, he said. He said, I kept you off TV for six weeks. You got more heat than anybody. I said, well, I don't, I'm not doing shortcuts. I said, I know you're not. They just hate you. He says, oh, then he did a fucking big angle with Jock Rougeau. And uh, I could no longer make the junior heavyweight weight. And uh, they re- and I, I, I was gimmicking the whatever, uh, the scales. And Jock Rougeau started calling me fatso. And I really <laughs> laid, I weighed about 212. So oh, I pull my pants up real high and put my belly out, and then I'd make a big deal about them calling me fatso. You know what I mean? And I was the skinniest guy there. So I ended up when I left the territory. Uh, I worked the last uh, ten weeks against Austin Idol on top, going on last. So when I went down the second time to work for Fuller against Adrian Street, we shot an angle the first fucking night. I stayed and worked six months with him. And then as soon as I finished up with Adrian, I left. I said, oh, this ain't because it was me. It was it was the fucking uh, it was the fucking journey. I ain't going to top this. Anything else is going to be OK. I hit a home run. Now I'm going to hit a single. So I didn't want to do that. So I fucking then I fucking moved on and, and was a booker for Bob Geigel then. And then, uh, then I went to fucking South Africa, and then I th- went to fucking uh, uh, Stu in Japan, and fucking uh, for Dupre. I went to, to Dupre in the Maritimes. I worked there uh, for four summers. I like to go out there for him because I called it America's 1950. You could wrestle. It was great. I'm skipping around and not making any sense. But what no, the fuck? Just in no, no, you're you're doing great. <laughs> you're, you're, your stories have been very colorful and, and fun to hear. But uh, as we wrap up tonight, um, final thoughts to you, Rip. Uh, 
two kind of a two-parter one where can anybody find you if they want to look up any social media or anything like that what are you been up to and also you mentioned earlier you you still train and, and keep in shape uh, any chance we'll see a uh, a rick flair-esque last match return to the ring on your end oh no no i'm done no i uh when i was 48 i was now this, this is this is the sad part when I was teaching for WWE, they wouldn't give me insurance, even though they were uh, a billionaire, okay? So I had to go get another fucking job. Now, I lived in Indianapolis and drove to Louisville every day. So I'm five hours in a car every day. Then I'm teaching at OBW. So I have to go out and get a job at UPS so I can have insurance for, uh, I had an, an autistic son. So anyway, one night there, some woman come around. I got hit, run, left, or dead, put it that way. So I got two hips that ain't mine, a knee that ain't mine, neuropathy in my feet. Uh, let's just say life ain't been very good. So I can ride the bike, but I can't do a free squat. I can't do a lunge. If I'd fall down, I could hardly get up. But you do what you can. I'm 69 years fucking old. So anyway, I don't know how we got into that shit. What do you ask me? Oh, if I'd be wrestling. No, I can't fucking wrestle. I can teach it, but I can't fucking... If I get in the goddamn ring, holy shit. It's funnier shit trying trying to see me get up there. But it, it ain't any fun, I'll put it that way. You know what's so funny is I train my whole fucking life. Every body part every day. Free squats every day in my, my life. Uh, bicycle, lunges, etc. Doing all that, knowing I'd get old someday. And I keep fighting it till the end. Then all of a sudden I get hit by a car and I am, I'm, I'm totally, I was at, I was at OBW fucking wrestling teaching the next day in a fucking wheelchair, but I wouldn't get my fucking hips put in. Then how many years fucking later, about eight years later, all of a sudden, boom, it, it was time. I couldn't even fucking move. They hurt so bad. So such is life. Then we fucking die. See, I didn't, I didn't say, I didn't say that many fucks. Would you, would you keep track of them or not? I'm going to, all right, so Dan, we got on contest here. Have you been tracking it? I have. Oh, I'm gonna, I, can I, I guess? Have. Go ahead, Benny. What do you got? I'm going to guess 147. Okay, 147. Well, that's pretty good for me because I was I was speaking from the heart, and I was trying really not to cuss that much. <laughs> well, I don't know what your definition of much is, but uh, I we've just hit an hour of recording time, and my count is 203. Oh, my okay. God. 203. That'll so, never be uh, broken. That's you, a- you, you just wow. slightly, just slightly uh, beat Ken Patera's 35. Okay. That's going to be like the equivalent of like Cy Young's 511 wins as far as right. a record that will never be broken. Cal okay. oh, 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 Ripken's Iron Man wait streak. Wait a, wait a minute. Oh, so you know baseball trivia? Yes, sir. Oh, you do, huh? Who's okay? Yes. You just said Cy. Hey, okay. What was Cy Young's real name? Denton. Denton C. Young. You knew that, didn't you? Everybody yes, knows. Everybody knows he's got the most wins. Who's second place right now? Uh, Walter Johnson. Okay. What was his nickname? Big Train. Oh fuck! You're good. I love it. Love Holy my baseball. Shit. 
Shades of Christy Matheson, Grover Cleveland, Alexander Warren, fucking Spawn. Jesus fucking Christ. I can't even talk with people. And that's the way I am with every fucking sport. I'm a fucking nut. <laughs> well, Benny, Benny's the guy you want next to you to do the sports category of bar trivia. Shit. Wow. First Colonel's, first Kentucky Colonel's crowd, ABA, 13,067. It'll never <laughs> fucking change. That's like a Rain Man statement right there. That's oh, It is. It is, isn't it? <laughs> All right, and I, I can tell you at least two of the players on the on the Colonels though was uh, Dan okay. Issel and Louis Dampier. Now wait a minute. Now, now they, are, are, are you talking about the original team or the you ABA? Just, huh? No. The what ABA I'm saying team. is, Dan, was Dan Issel there the first year? I think he was. Uh, was not. No. How about Artis? Gene Moore was goddamn center. Goose Liggins was my favorite player. Goose, Le- Holy Goose Liggins, crap. Six, six, seven, college, none. That was the best, college, wow. none. Louis Dampier, Dale Carrier, uh, Sam Smith, Randy fucking Mahaffey, Bobby fucking Rasco. Holy shit. Now, how about the, the, the Pacers? Were you a Pacers fan? The Pacers, goddamn Roger Brown, fucking Mel Daniels, Bob Nedelicki, Freddie fucking Lewis. How many you fucking want? God damn. You know, Rick Mountain's later, right? Well, he wasn't the first year. He was still at Purdue. Right, right. Where he averaged 33, 33 fucking points a game. Wow. Dan, is this Fuck guy added on? Hey, 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 at UN, the Pacers used to fucking practice there. At the fucking gym there. I'd play fucking Billy Keller and fucking horse. What a fuck. Oh, Jesus Christ. This motherfucker wouldn't miss. Fucking Billy Keller. God damn. Now, now see how you... Nothing, nothing but fucking memories about fucking everything. Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. Fucking life. Well, as we... Fucking, as base, we, <laughs> fucking baseball. As, as hey, we... Uh, hey, what, what, was, what was Ty Cobb's lifetime batting average? Uh, 367. That's right. Who was second with 358? Uh, was was Joe Jackson, right? No, uh, Rogers fucking hordes me, you fucking geek. No, it you wasn't. Did. You sure it wasn't Joe Jackson? And yeah, it was Rogers fucking hordes me. Oh, Joe Jackson was 356, right? Let, Joe Jackson? Don't, don't be the one to push the argument, Benny. Let the guests leave with a win. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Although as we as we wrap up, guys, I do want to point out you you, you talk uh, baseball. My my personal favorite. It's not really a stat. It's just one of those fun stories. Are you guys familiar with the uh, the Richie Ashburn foul ball story? No, no. Richie Richie Ashburn was a outfielder for the Phillies. He hit a foul ball that hit a woman in the stands and injured her. And uh-huh. so they put her on a stretcher and were carrying her out. And the uh-huh. next pitch, he hit the ball again, and it hit her while she was on the stretcher leaving oh the stadium. Oh, my God. That's Hollywood right there. That's a good aim. So. That is <laughs> that is fucking awesome. So hey, what was Dizzy Dean's t- – uh, uh, what was his two official real names? Jerome Hanna Dean. Wait, That's who? Good. Did you say? That's did you say it. Jerome? Did Jerome Hannah Dean. Yes, that's right. Yep. Or J Han, 
or sometimes they called him Jay Hannadine. And, and his famous saying, it ain't bragging if you can do it. Yep. And No, his most famous saying, you see what they're doing over there? He's kissing her on the strikes, and she's kissing him on the balls. That's right. <laughs> Later stolen by Suki Sales. Right. Well, the, 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 greatest, the greatest baseball advice ever was given by Jimmy Dugan. Avoid the clap. I mean, nothing beats that. Come on. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, fuck. This is, this is fucking awesome. We can have a fucking trivia shit going on with this much fucking better than the goddamn this wrestling stuff. Holy <laughs> shit. We should have known. Like, you know, 203 fucks later, we start talking about baseball. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, everybody's a frustrated fucking baseball well, before, player, right? Before we get before we get canceled by what's left. Yeah. <laughs> Let's, I think I hear the FCC knocking on my door now. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm pretty sure that's 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 a Homeland Security at my front door right now. Hey, um, I did a fucking com- I did a comedy show in the fucking bar about a month, month fucking ago, right? They knew what they was getting into. Holy shit. Everything you ain't supposed to fucking say, I fucking did it. Holy, that was... I'm surprised I ain't fucking dead or whatever. But what the fuck, right? <laughs> George Carlin is saluting you from heaven, right? Oh, God, it don't. Uh, get of, it don't. of the words you can't say on television, you said every one of them at least at least twelve times today. Yeah, Fourteen hundred times. <laughs> but honestly, I mean, we 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 transitioned from from wrestling to baseball. We 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 stumped the geek. We had some fun. Rip Rogers, thank you so much. Um, I appreciate it. And uh, hey, we definitely, Mel-Ot, I mean, Mel-Ot. We barely. How many home runs? How many home runs, Melot? 511. That's Fuck, you're awesome. Fuck. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> well, as we say uh, uh, before Dan and Benny transitions <laughs> to a baseball show, uh, Rip Rogers, <laughs> legendary wrestler, OVW trainer for the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. I'm Dan Spashano. Have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time we're in the ring. And just think of the record I got for the most fucks.